No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello, everybody. I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. We took a small hiatus over the Christmas break to make time for holidays and regrouping and just sort of settling down all the emotions that come with sharing and experiencing these these stories with each and one of my guests. I'm proud to say that One Too Many Veteran Suicide is now on the Blog Talk Radio platform very excited to be here. Very honored that BTR invited us to be a part of uh, their platform, their distribution. This this means that we get to share these stories with more people, make a bigger impact, and get one step closer to preventing veteran suicide. Today's guest is a Marine Corps veteran. His name's Kevin Leverance. He's going to talk to us about uh, having how he uses a weighted blanket, how he has gotten into aromatherapy. He's going to talk to us about his struggles, uh, you know, with obviously suicide, PTSD, depression, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, what, you know, being, being drunk in an alley, like all these things that, uh, that come with it. But I think the part that, the part that I found most interesting was his weighted, his weighted blanket and how, how he uses that. So, uh, here's Kevin and his story. I'll, uh, follow up with some reflections after we hear from Kevin. Well, I, you know, I had a lot of time, and I still have times now that it's hard to find life worth living. Yeah. But I was, I was never to the point. I did have some times during the summer that I, I did. I just thought it'd be easier to be dead. Yeah. And, and be done with this. But I have uh, an amazing wife and my wonderful children and whatnot, and they were with me. So I had this. Um, Kind of like a checkpoint I always had to get through that it's, I don't feel like I want to live anymore, but wait a minute. My kids are right in front of me. My wife's right in front of me. So, and she was very involved with getting me help and very receptive to what I had going on. So it was very early on intervention emotionally. So there was never, I never attempted any kind of suicide or right. things like that, but definitely had that desperation and, and, and I, consideration. I, and to... So as we move into this and start talking about your your story, uh, to give you confidence and to value your story, this is this is very important to show people that you know because I don't want people to be I don't want suicide prevention to happen when we see the signs. I want suicide prevention to happen well before that, and mm-hmm. so I want I want to show people that we don't we don't need we don't need people acting out in in actual suicidal behavior for us to like for us to want to reach out and be like oh wait let me help you. You know, it needs to happen when we, we, as soon as we start seeing someone walk into that darkness. So, um, yeah. So the best way usually to start these, um, these conversations is just to have the guest start the story where you believe it begins. So, you know, whether, so whatever context you want to bring, you know, add to, 
uh, added the story before talking about uh, the real issue is welcome. So go ahead, you know, just go ahead, start, you know, tell your own story from where you believe it best begins. Sure. So I was, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I went to Iraq in 2004, 2005, and I think that's where all of my trouble started up. I, I came home and I lived in denial for about 10 years. I shoved things down, um, discounted what was really going on when I'm fighting with my wife and I'm being irritated with everybody else. And it didn't cause large amounts of trouble. And then just this past summer is when I got started getting into trouble at work, couldn't get along with people, and really threw me into this full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder kind of stuff where the panic attacks were debilitating and uh, the depression swings were, were incredible. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I came home from work one day, actually. I, I, I came home early from work because things were, emotions were just out of control and uh, sent my guns out of the house that I had just felt so out of control of my emotions and how I was behaving that I didn't want to kill myself when I came home that day, but it was, these things can't be here. It was, it was scary to have them in the house. So I, I had sent those away and started, uh, it was pretty quickly after that that I started getting into some therapy and my, my wife was there to be supportive and take care of me. But there were countless days that it was not getting out of bed uh, there's no good reason to get out of bed, and uh, the frustration grew out of that because I have I have this wonderful wife, I have three beautiful children, I have a good job that I enjoy and feel fulfilled doing, but somehow all of that doesn't matter because I don't feel like I want to live life anymore. So as, as therapy progressed, uh, I had to go through the VA and I have a specific behavioral program that I went through. And essentially, what you do is you re-experience this emotional trauma and learn how to process it a little more healthily than, than you did in the first place. And so it, it was uh, kind of terrifying and frightening to go through that, that all these things that you buried down deep and hope to never talk about ever again start getting drudged back up, and you have to feel these things again. And uh, it, it was scary, it was terrifying, and it made me... It, always in the back of my mind would creep up, but what, what's the alternative? You can deal with all this garbage, or, you know, if you were if you were dead, you wouldn't be dealing with all this garbage. You wouldn't have to deal with it then. So, uh, the symptoms of, of the whole PTSD symptom stuff has gotten a lot better, but I'm still in this uh, place that's it's not so dark as it was, but I have this new normal to adjust to, and I, I kind of equate it to going through the grieving process, where they talk about the five stages of grieving, that I spent my time in denial, and now I'm somewhere in between with, with depression and, and anger about uh, things I have to do just to get through the day. And, and it's exhausting the, to do these mental exercises that by 2 o'clock I need a nap in the afternoon. Um, to sleep at night I use, uh, I have medication, I have uh, aromatherapy, I have a weighted blanket. My wife bought me a 20-pound blanket that's supposed to help with uh, overstimulation. So those kinds of things. In fact, I'm sitting under my blanket right here while we're talking, Tim, and it, just to stay in control of things. And it's a hard adjustment to think that that's how it is. This isn't a broken bone that you go to physical therapy for a couple of weeks and then you're back to it. This, I mean, this is this is life, and there's days that gets really just overwhelming. That 
uh, everything that it, the difference is that I used to know differently. Fifteen years ago was, was nothing like this. I, I I didn't have this kind of trouble. I felt like I had control of emotions. I didn't have to sleep under a, a weighted blanket and, and take medication. So it's uh, it feels really defeating. And uh, I, I get to the point now that I don't I don't want to go hurt myself. I don't necessarily want to die, but definitely in my mind it creeps up that maybe that alternative would make things a little easier. That my wife wouldn't have to deal with me and all my trouble. I wouldn't have to be dealing with all my trouble. Uh, so that's kind of the the point that I am now with uh, with making those adjustments and still finding is still fine tuning how life's going to be with uh, with little tricks with medications with with all kinds of interventions to, to make life livable. Yeah. Uh, you said you were in denial. I mean, you know, please tell us, what, what were you in denial of? Uh, I think I was in denial that I had a problem about anything. Uh, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, is that I definitely had, I did not transition well back into, uh, into society after my combat deployment. I even had some panic attacks within the first month of being home. And because it was within the first month, VA wasn't, they didn't have any treatment plans for that. That if these symptoms aren't there for more than 30 days, then this is, this is just a transitional problem that you're getting into. So I was, uh, drinking in alleyways till I passed out. I was, had no place to go, nothing to do, um, getting angry and picking fights. Uh, so I just told myself that, uh, you know, that's, that's no big deal. That's just what veterans do when they come home. From combat, uh, you get out of the Marine Corps, and you—that's just how it is. You're just this hardened person, and and that—that's what's appropriate. That's normal. So I, you know, the better part of ten years, um, kind of pushing things away, and things weren't as bad as they were when I first came home in that first month. Uh, my wife and I started spending a lot more time together. This is before we were married, and uh, I got my sister to help me get a job. So having that purpose and that focus kind of directed attention somewhere else. But there would be several times a year that I would have my triggers, that the depression would come in, the anxiety, the irritability, that, uh, you know, Memorial Day would come around, the anniversaries would come around. Um, we had a lot of our guys that were killed while we were there. One of them was a, a good friend. And so those kind of anniversaries come up. And, and I would, I would start picking fights. I wouldn't want to get out of bed. I wouldn't be taking, I wouldn't shower. And my wife knew what was going on for, <laughs> for the whole decade of it. And I told myself that's no big deal because it would get better in a day or two that I'd be able to get out of that slump. So it's not really a problem. It's just that I had a bad day. So I would look for those kind of excuses. I'd find any reason to explain it that, uh, you know, I'd get irritable and then I'd go pick a fight with somebody just to explain why I'm irritable. I'm fighting with you, so of course I'm irritable because you're a jerk. Uh, so I'd, I'd make up that kind of stuff. Um to, you know, to go with this, quote, normal, what, what society says is, is normal. So if I get mad, there must be a reason. I'm going to go find a reason. And I found out just how detrimental that was when I was barely, I was, I was on the edge the whole time, hanging on by a string, and then I started getting into some trouble at work, and that's what kind of snapped the string, and I didn't have any mechanisms to handle it uh, in an emotionally healthy way, and it, it just shoved everything over the edge. Uh, it, it, that got to the point that uh, my wife had been trying to nudge me for years. She tried to be gentle about finding help, and she tried to be stern about finding help. She tried the, the tough love about getting help. And then this trouble at work came down, and she stays home with her children, so I'm, 
uh, I provide for the family. And I started getting in trouble at work, and it was, you can't do this, because now our family's compromised. You're going to screw this up, and we're going to lose the house, we're going to lose cars, we're going to we're gonna be on the street, because you want to play uh, this game of not admitting something's going on. She's like, you got sent, you're going to be sent home from work, how can you, you know, she started gathering this evidence to, to argue against it, that it's objective now, that these objective, observable things are happening, and it's not just subjective. It's not just how you feel anymore. It's Things are happening. So, what was happening at work? I'm a, I'm a firefighter and a paramedic, and it's a pretty busy department. I have a lot of patient contact with uh, people needing help, uh, various levels of help. And, you know, I mean, somebody calls 911, and it's not for fun. Right. Whether it's a, a, a down-drag-em-out kind of emergency or not so much an emergency, this is somebody else's emergency. They they believe it to be an emergency, so they've called 911. So you get there, and tensions are always high, and, you know, perceptions are always off in these kind of stressful situations. And I, I had an interaction with with, uh, with this patient. Her mom wasn't there, but heard about it later and didn't care for the, uh, the interaction. Uh, you know, it was, she thought we should have been doing more. Um, so she complained to the, the city. The city looked into it. And during the course of the investigation, they asked me a few questions, and I answered a few questions. And it turns out that the the details I got actually got in trouble for the details that I didn't remember details properly. So I wasn't in trouble for how I treated a patient or or the interaction with her. It was that we think you're lying, we think you're a liar, we can't trust you, you're a piece of garbage kind of stuff. Um, and they they ended up suspending me for that. And it wasn't even the suspension that did it. It was the investigation and, and the questions and and those interactions about what are you trying to do here, fella, were the questions I was getting. And that's what really was the push over the edge. So as long as I can maintain, I can be under the radar, I can hide some symptoms. And then this is what really thrust it over the edge, that I had a lawyer in front of me telling me, you are a liar, you cannot be trusted, you're not trustworthy. So all these horrible thoughts that I had developed about myself that I could deny because somebody else wasn't saying them. I couldn't deny them anymore. This was in my face now. So uh, a period of time had gone between that interview and when I was actually suspended. So I had the anxiety of this suspension hanging over my head for probably a good month while I'm trying to work in high-pressure situations, in crisis response, and uh, and really that was, that was the got to the point where I couldn't finish a day at work. Uh, I'd become home. I'd come home in the middle of the day. And uh, that's when things really started getting concerning. That's when my wife really cracked down and said, "This is uh, enough's enough here." Um, you mentioned uh, you found yourself drinking in alleyways. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, that's this just sounds like the the end of a really bad like anti drinking commercial. <laughs> um, and I don't I don't mean to to make it you know to, to to poke fun of it, but like you know, what? How did you find yourself? In that, you know, why not at home? Why not with friends? Like, why, why, why were you so isolated that you had that you had to be in an alleyway? Well, I think it was that I didn't feel like I had a place to go. I came home. I was actually living away from home when I got deployed. So I came home and moved back in with mom uh, to start rebuilding things. And uh, I think her her approach was just get back to what you were doing. That's that's just the way you fix it. You don't talk about it. Just go back to the way it was. And she's kind of from that generation that 
you don't talk about emotional concerns. You don't really talk about how you feel. You just do it. You know, you don't get to feel it. Um, so, so being at home might not have been the, the most supportive. And I think I was trying to get back to what I was doing. So I'd go visit uh, friends who were away at college. They're they're finishing up college, and we'd go out and have fun at night. And then everybody would go home, but I didn't have anywhere to go home to. So I'd stop by the liquor store, get some more, a couple more forties, and, and sit in an alleyway where. Uh, hoping the police wouldn't bust me for drinking in public and where, <laughs> where I'd find myself, wow. um, where I could hide it. You know, find a nice dark spot where I could hide what I'm doing, and which <laughs> at the time I told them, no way this is wrong, but clearly if I was hiding in a dark spot, I, I knew it was wrong, I just wouldn't yeah. admit it. Um, aromatherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know I'm sort of jumping, jumping all around your story, but I just, I, I'm just going down my notes as, as you were mentioning things. Sure. Um, you know, so let's, let's jump ahead now to where you are now. You said you're using some aromatherapy. You're the first of my guests to mention this. What sort of aromatherapy you're doing and, and how effective has it been? You know, I feel like it's, it's pretty effective. And I ended up there because I do not like medications. I think that's one of the things that scare me big time is, um, here's your, your cycle tropic medications that you're on for the rest of your life. And I, I feel like that's what scares me about it is that I, I feel like I'm not me. If I need a chemical to be me, then that's that's not me. That's manufactured. So I, I try to stay away from the medication as much as I can. And uh, again, my wife, uh, this, this woman's incredible. Uh, she uh, suggested that. She said, why don't we get you some lavender? You know, lavender's supposed to be calming and um, and we can put some on your pillowcase. We can. It started out with just just the oil. I would drip a couple drops of oil on my pillow at night, and uh, and it, it would it would be it would be helpful that you know there weren't so many uh, night terrors. Bad dreams would still come up. Uh, there wasn't so much tossing and turning to get to sleep. And now I I put it in a, in a diffuser, so it, it turns it into a mist in the bedroom, and it's uh, I think it's really nice. I for me whether it's psychosomatic or it's legitimate, I, I feel like it's effective for me. And so much to the point that we've, we bring the diffuser out of the bedroom and uh, lemon scents are supposed to help with energizing and, and uplifting moods. So we put lemon out uh, in the diffuser on the living room in the morning. As soon as I get up, the, the lavender comes out, the lemon goes in. Um, we've been branched out to a few other ones now that Christmas time is coming up. We have a couple pine ones that we put in there. Uh, so it smells like Christmas tree. Those supposed to be more centering and balancing kind of things. It's for me, the pine for me is more that it smells like a Christmas tree, and I enjoy it. <laughs> you know, uh, but definitely the lavender at night. And uh, being a fireman, I sleep at work, so that was one of my big concerns. I spent I spent a good month. I'm sorry, a good three months, four months, three or four months away from work this year, getting this kind of treatment. So that was one of my big concerns going back was. That uh, I go to sleep and I'm I'm out of control. I have these nightmares. I have these terrors. I find myself wandering. I wake up somewhere other than I went to sleep. So these were some of the suggestions that my wife Kathy came up with. Was why don't we get you some lavender and maybe that'll help you relax and you can get into some sleep. And um, so I feel like the the essential oils have been helpful. Like I said, it, whether it's it's in my head or not, it it works for me. That's really interesting. I'm I'm uh, I'm actually gonna put that to the test. I'm gonna get some lavender and then some lemon, and I'm gonna see if I sleep better and if I become more energized. Go I like for it. That. I think uh, 
You know, if nothing else, then your house smells nice. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, there's, there's, it's like it's so low risk. That's uh, that's awesome. It, it is. It awesome. is. And I, I really, I, I do. I'm, I'm not much of a natural path or anything like that. I mean, I'm, I'm in the medical field. I start IVs. I give people medications. I, I believe in the science of modern medicine. I just don't. <laughs> it's kind of uh, contradictory that I don't like it for me. <laughs> you know, I guess right. not good for the goose, good for the gander kind of stuff. But I guess the difference is I do it in the the acute short term sense. I don't prescribe long term medications. I don't I don't treat chronic illness. I treat right now kind of stuff. So yeah. the the idea of looking at these alternatives is like I said, I've never been huge on alternative medicine, but I'm starting to open up more to some of those ideas. So so I mean so it sounds like you have a few things established into your routine uh, to aid your mental and emotional health. Uh, you know, so what's, what, what are other parts of your daily practice? Um, from when you wake up to when you're going to bed, what are some things you find yourself, uh, e- either routinely doing or deliberately doing each day to, to help build that, uh, that health? Well, I've always been good. Uh, I've always been a big exerciser. I used to like work out. I love to run. Um, so I've been, that really fell off. I had, I, it was just this past summer when I had all this bad stuff. And the depression got that bad. I've been making a big push to get back to that, both for the the mental clarity that I get that comes with running, that I can't do things. I can't distract myself. I have to be in my own mind, and I have to sort things out. Uh, or the, or nothing's going to make sense. So I, I do enjoy going for a good five, six, seven miles just to clear my head and, and organize thoughts. Um, that and get the, the endorphins going and, and feeling good with that. The afternoon time comes, and, and I get out my the weighted blanket I mentioned. It's, uh, it legitimately is a 20-pound blanket full of... It's, it's kind of like the bean bags. You play with the game, all kind of sewn together mm-hmm. into, into a big quilt. And uh, I go spend some time under that. I feel like I'm getting exhausted, I'm getting run down, and I'm losing that kind of steam uh, from keeping it together most of the day. Uh, and that's when, when depression starts trickling in a bit more. So I, I get under the blanket mid-afternoon or in the evening, all evening. We put the kids to bed. My wife and I are watching TV and eating some popcorn. I'll get myself under the blanket to come back down and get ready for bed. Um, so what is, what is that blanket doing for you? What is, okay, my, my daughter, she's an occupational therapist because she has sensory processing stuff. And what her issue is is that the um, her nervous system just gets overstimulated, the, to take in so much of this, I can't process it the right way, can't make sense of it, and it becomes overwhelming. So the occupational therapist has these has the weighted blankets, and she says, why don't you try these with your daughter? And my wife mentioned me, and she said, well, yeah, here, get this big one for your husband, try it for him. And what it's supposed to do is that, that kind of pressure, it kind of resets the sympathetic nervous system. So your, your fight-or-flight response is part of your service, your sympathetic nervous system. So when your heart starts racing, your breathing gets fast, uh, things like that. That's all sympathetic nervous system. So it's supposed to suppress some of that reaction. That it brings it back to a, an appropriate amount of stimulation for for the environment. That I can I can lay under this. It kind of brings heart rate down, brings respirations down, brings blood pressure down a little bit. And uh, I think also part of it is that it's, just, it's not easy to move under a twenty pound blanket. So you have to be still for a little bit. Right. So it's, I've only had it for about a, not even a week now, and 
man, I, I love this thing. I've, I've even brought it up on a few of the other uh, PTSD boards, but it's it's incredibly effective with, with anxiety attacks. When I feel the anxiety start to come on, uh, I, I start getting the little butterflies in my stomach. I get under my blanket, and it seems to bring it under control before that frustration sets in and then before the depression of uh, other people don't have to deal with this, why do I have to kind of depression sets in. So it's it's been a very effective intervention tool and uh, kind of a comfort item at that. So and then I spend all night, I sit under it when I need to for bits at a time, and then I spend all night under the thing. I, I go to bed with it and I sleep under 20 pounds all night. Huh, that's interesting. So, yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, yeah, the, the, the therapist gave, gave it a suggestion and I was a little weary because I'm I'm a kind of a cheapskate. I don't like spending money, right, right. and this thing's not this this is not inexpensive at all. Uh, but I'm to that point that it's kind of whatever it takes. I'm gonna I'm gonna try whatever there is. And uh, my wife did she ordered it up for me. Got a nice nice firefighter print on it, so it you know looks tough and manly. And uh, yeah, it, it, I feel like it, it it does really help. I mean, even just five ten minutes of sitting under it really kind of quells the anxiety and and helps me have that mental clarity to work through my exercises that I learned in therapy to, to make sense of the situation before it becomes emotionally out of control. Absolutely. So today, uh, just just today I released a momentary reflections talking about how crucial it is for, for people experiencing depression, PTSD, emotional mental health issues to be willing to, to receive the help that's being offered to them. And, Mainly, you know, with the example that, you know, in the Marine Corps, when you, you know, when you went on, when you ran a PFT, the guys that are finishing in 19, 20 minutes are catching their breath and then running back to motivate the guys that are, that are lagging behind. And as long as you were moving forward, we were willing to run back there and motivate you. But as soon as, as soon as you became dead weight and disinterested in receiving help, then you were criticized and ridiculed for your inability to, to muster up enough motion just to you know to receive the help that's that's being offered to you so it sounds like you had a great support system within your family how crucial do you think it was uh that you, that, that your willingness to get help when it was offered uh to to get to where you are now i, I think that that was everything um you know I, I count my lucky stars daily that i had my wife and that she was as interested in helping and as involved as she was um I mean, we hear so many of these guys and gals come home and, and you chase away these relationships. You know, you, you, you start bringing these troubles in and the relationship's done and, and you split and uh, that adds to the, the trouble. Um, I think what what presents a barrier to accepting that help is, first, that social support, but the, you know, how to, how to say it, I think the barrier is the concept that you come home and you're done fighting. That yeah. Things are over because uh, you you physically left the danger, but you know you left the physical danger, but not the emotional danger. It's uh, and it is like you were saying with with the PFT. It's a perfect example that somehow we come home and that drive to help somebody who's still trying but not as fast as you is gone somehow. Um, we, we come home, we leave the unit, we leave uh, the barracks, whatever it may be, and. You adjust into this, and somehow these social connections just become stretched out, and they're not as as profound as they were. Um, 
and it, I think it adds to the isolation. I think the isolation just builds rapidly, but the, the social support is, is big, and uh, oh, that was the point I wanted to make. It, especially in the Marine Corps, you know, any of us in the armed forces, you're trained to be tough, you're warriors, you're fighters, you you can't accept failure. It doesn't happen. You just keep going until you succeed. And you come home, and you start feeling these things, you start feeling broken, and that's why you start getting isolated. You start pulling in more and more. And it's, I mean, it's okay to be broken. It's always okay for somebody else, but not not for you. But uh, we, we need to get to this point that it's, it's okay to feel like you're broken. You're not broken. You just need some help. And uh, But we're always the ones that are out giving help around the world. We're always the ones fighting for what's right and what's good and, and helping people. And we don't know how to let people help us. Like, that's the dangerous part is we come home and there's not... Personally, I didn't have a lot of transitional training or services. I sat in front of... I answered some questionnaires and sat in front of a psychiatrist for a few minutes and... Uh, and she gave me a hard time because I'd answer that I had a hard time sleeping. Well, no kidding. Bombs are exploding and things are happening. Who can sleep through that? So, and then we were sent on our merry way. Um, so there's, you know, the, the idea of being tough and being strong and, and not having any kind of weakness like that is, I think it's just a, a matter of perspective that Fighting this, fighting these kind of emotional troubles is courageous. It does take strength. It does take a warrior spirit to fight through uh, the emotional damage that's been done. Um, you know, hiding from it in a corner, that's, that's not what warriors do. That's not what we do. We don't, we don't hide out hoping that things just blow over. That, hell, when does anybody in the armed forces do that? We go to combat, we go looking for the enemy. We're going to come find you because you're the trouble. So we're going to come get you. But somehow when it comes to us and fighting our own inner enemies, we seem to get terrified. We back down and we hide in the corner instead of standing up and having that courage to to go fight. And we're willing to fight for everybody else except for ourselves, it seems like. Absolutely. Uh, it's been it's been a really a real pleasure talking to you. Um I know a lot you know, when a lot of people join me on the show here, you know, they have uh, they have ideas of you know what what they may want to get across or what message they want to put out there. Is there anything that we uh, haven't discussed yet that you want to make sure uh, that that a point is made? Sure. One of my big points. I, I started getting into public speaking and motivational speaking about this stuff, and one of the big pushes I like to make is that we were all trained to fight as a unit, as a team. We went to war as a team, uh, and and always worked for the betterment of the organization. And and then we come home. And it doesn't change that we all have our individual responsibilities to deal with. We have our own inner demons, our own uh, trouble, that we should be looking out for each other, that the community shouldn't change, that we go, I go to Iraq and I have people worried about who's going to sneak out around a corner and, and come after me, so I have people watching out for me, that it should be just the same when I come home, that... I should be in a position to look around me and identify threats to the brothers and sisters I served with and, and have this bond with, that it's, you know, 22 veterans a day and at least one active service member a day killing themselves is terrible. They, and, and I can I can appreciate that kind of hopelessness and that dark spot. And I, I say us as a community, that's, that's our failing. That's our shortcoming, that... We should be reaching out to these people before it gets to that crisis spot, like you were talking about. 
And it, it, if there's anybody that should understand how any of these hopeless, desperate veterans is feeling is another one of us veterans. So to kind of shrink down and back away from from that calling is, is doing a disservice to our, our community and our, our brothers and sisters. So it's, I mean, it, it's on us to call up old service members that you haven't talked to in a few months, a few years, and say, hey, man, how you doing? I still care about you. Still, I'm still glad you're alive. And, uh, you know, I think we need to get over the unfamiliarity with emotional health in, in such a, uh, with the veteran community, it's just so tough. We, you know, we're hard. We, we don't feel things. We just do. But we're not rocks. We're people. Yeah. And, and we need to get over that. So I think, I think that's my big message is we need to be looking after each other a lot better, especially with, you know, scandals with the VA. We can't always count on the government to take care of everything. And we never have. You know, they, you go to combat, you get a mission, and it doesn't matter what supplies you have or don't have, you still go accomplish the mission. So when we come home, maybe we don't have all the professional services that we need that are readily accessible, or maybe guys aren't ready to go get those services yet. And, uh, and that shouldn't be what slows us down. We should be looking out for each other and reaching out to each other and, and letting everybody know you're not alone feeling this way. Uh, you're not alone while you're feeling this way, that uh, people care. People understand. I haven't yet gotten the opportunity to try out aromatherapy, but it's something that I'm interested in, in trying out, and I'll have to follow up with Kevin to see how it's been working for him. I hope you I hope you really got something from Kevin's message. Again, I really appreciate him coming forward and sharing his story. If you are interested in sharing your story, if you're a veteran who's experienced suicidal behavior and you want to share stories so that way other veterans can know that they're not alone and help us remove the stigma around this crisis, if you're a friend or family member of a veteran who took his own life and you want to make sure that their story is remembered and honored, please go to onetomanyproject.com. That's O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com. And you can click on contact. There's other ways on the website for you to get a hold of me. Contact me. Let me know you want to be involved, and I'll be I'd be more than honored to have you on and share and help you share your story with my audience. I definitely want to be able to use this platform to promote organizations that I think are doing great things in the veteran space. I want to reiterate my support for The Soldiers Project, www.thesoldiersproject.org. They provide free, confidential, unlimited psychotherapy to service members and post-9-11 veterans and their loved ones, including girlfriends, boyfriends, siblings, etc. They see people prior to, during, and following a return from deployment. They serve all branches of the military, regardless of discharge status. They do not require any DD-214s or other documentation, and their therapists are licensed clinicians who work in private practice and donate their time to serve those that have served. The Soldiers Project uh, has been in contact with me. We have exchanged a lot of different ideas. We're looking for ways to collaborate. I've gotten, a, I've been have an opportunity to get a little bit of insight on what they're doing as an organization, and I really admire it, and I want to give them my recommendation for anybody who's looking for uh, an organization to support, be involved in, to uh, uh, monetarily contribute to. So the thesoldiersproject.org uh, is what you need to be checking out. 
this week. I'm gonna let I'm gonna stop this one here. I have momentary reflections coming out again tomorrow. There's Q and A coming out on Thursday. We're back to our regularly scheduled programming: the Tuesday story, the Wednesday momentary reflections, and the Thursday Q and A. If you want to stay up to date on the One Too Many project in the podcast and everything that I'm doing inside of the veteran space in my efforts to help prevent veteran suicide. You can go to onetoomanyproject.com and subscribe to the mailing list. You can ask a question. There's other ways to get involved. All of this is only possible if other people get involved with me. So please come do that. Thank you for listening. See you tomorrow.